Welcome to the Manifestation Bay podcast. My name is Katherine Zinkina, and I'm a manifestation expert, master mindset coach, and multiple seven-figure entrepreneur. I'm obsessed with helping you achieve everything that you once thought was impossible. If you're looking to massively up-level your life, your finances, your relationships, your productivity and success, then you have come to the right place. My goal in this podcast is to help you see the infinite potential within yourself to be, do, and have anything that your heart desires. Think of this podcast as your weekly dose of mindset development to help you maximize who you are and where you're going. Leave it to me to provide you with the tools, the resources, the strategies, and teachings that you need to manifest a reality wilder than your wildest dreams. I know we're about to have so much fun together, so thank you so much for pushing play today, and now let's begin. I can't believe it's been almost two years since I've last hosted a live training. Well, consider this a manifestation because for the first time in almost two years, I'm hosting a live three-day money manifestation training called Cashflow. And the best part, it's absolutely free to join. We're going to be talking all about raising your financial set point, taking your power back when it comes to money so that it no longer has its hold on you, having money respond to you as the sovereign queen of money, not the other way around, becoming wealthy without frying your nervous system, the exact steps to accessing financial abundance for life, and so much more. You can sign up for this free training at manifestationbabe.com slash cashflow. Again, that's manifestationbabe.com slash cashflow. We start May 15th and I can't wait to see you there. Okay, 87 years later, we're finally sitting down for part two. I didn't think it would ever take us three days to finally record a podcast, but here we are. Let's get into it. So babe, where do we leave off? We left off at... When we're going to the hospital, right? Frantically driving over. <laughs> no, no. We haven't even gotten to the driving part, okay? That's when baby woke up. I remember here. Let me just go off of where I last remember. If you're tuning in right now and you're like, <clears throat> why are they just jumping right in? It's because we have a whole part one that you have missed. So make sure you go back one episode, listen to part one, because there's a whole hour of the home birth part or the home birth attempt. <laughs> and now we are heading to Cedar sinai Hospital to go see Dr. Paul Crane. And there's a reason that Netflix and HBO always have a little 30-second intro that you skip. It's so if you forgot, you get caught up and here's your catch-up. Well, it's not a catch up, babe, because I'm just going to dive right into part two. So uh, let me see where we left off. Okay. So I remember being in the shower, making our decision. And then um, here's the thing. My midwife, Abby, I asked her two weeks prior. I said, hey, I have zero plans of going to the hospital. Yes, I have a backup OBGYN who they recommended to be Dr. Paul Crane, who's freaking amazing. And hopefully he never retires. So everyone who wants to do a hospital birth or has to do a hospital birth can experience Dr. Paul Crane. Um, I asked her like, hey, 
I know I have a backup. I have no plans whatsoever of using him. Should I still pack a hospital bag just in case, you know, something happens, we have to go to the hospital and that way Brennan is not frantically trying to pack and blah, blah, blah. Or is that kind of like, you know, not recommended because then it's always like a plan B in the back of your mind when shit gets hard. Right. And she's like, actually, I always recommend a hospital bag, a backup one, even if you're like gung ho set on a home birth and like under no circumstances are you going to go? Because I find that the more flexible you are with your birth plan, the better it goes your way. And she's like, notoriously, I have clients who will have, um, they will literally refuse to consider all options. And then of course the universe will give them that option that they least want or force them to go down that route. And they're severely underprepared. So she's like, I find that the more flexible you are, the better it is. And I relate this to manifesting because the more open you are to the how not being your job and all of the different options and different uh, ways that your desire can come to you, the more likely it is to come to you because if you're dead set on the one way. How do you know if that way is for your highest good or not? We actually so. have a saying for this, even in the finance world. It's called Max Payne is. Oh, it, Jesus. Okay, uh, here, here we go. go. Okay. Max Payne is. And Max Payne is, is the same thing. It's when everyone is leaning one direction, the least likely, but the most pain is applied if it moves the opposite direction. So it's all about what everyone's doing, what everyone's thinking, or in this case, what you're expecting. So with such certainty, if you're leaning too far one direction and someone pulls that chair, you're going to fall, meaning that the max pain is to the other way. It's the same concept. Okay, exists right. universally. Uh, we do have some finance episodes with Brennan if you want to go catch up on those, but we're not going to go diving down that rabbit hole, please. Okay. So um, what did I say? My brain is mush postpartum. I've realized. You're doing amazing. It's, it wasn't until I re-recorded part one where I'm like, I actually have a hard time thinking right now. My brain is very emotional. I'm very right-brained, yeah. but I'm not very logical at all whatsoever. And, like and you're so beautiful, but I can see your fontanelle too. Brennan. Okay. <laughs> where were we? Oh, yes. So I had a hospital bag planned. It was underneath our backup snoo in our nursery. Um, I had Brennan packed. I had myself packed um, and baby packed, right? you know, outfits and shit. So when we made the decision, Brennan, I could see panic in his eyes. He's like, Oh my God, what do I take with me? Right. And I just reminded him like, Brennan, everything is packed. It's under the snoo. Just grab the suitcase, the backpack, your backpack, the breastfeeding pillow, and like something else that I had there. And, um, and then I remember it took me like 40, I swear to God, it felt like 45 minutes to get out of that shower because by the time I walked a first of all, by the time I turned off the shower, I had another contraction. Then by the time I got out to get my pajamas, I asked specifically for the pajamas that I'm actually wearing right now. And I wore these to the hospital. And by the time I put on the pants, I had a contraction. Then I put on the, the, um, the top, I had another contraction and these are, this is when back labor started. And the only person who was relieving my back labor at that moment was my mom. So my mom was attached to me, to my back, literally fists. She would just fist into like my lower back as hard as possible. And I would lean back on her and at the same time, clench my belly because it was coming from both directions. And this, I swear to God, 
if I decided to stay at home and that was the level of labor and the fact that it would have been another 13 hours, I have no idea like what I do, but <laughs> everything turned out so perfectly and I'm so happy with how it, how it turned out. So counter pressure is one way that guys can really help out too, is like applying counter pressure. I pray to God that you don't have back labor, but if you do, it's a really easy way just to apply a lot of strength yeah. to the areas and just listen. You won't know where it is. Oh, I'll, she will show you. I, exactly. <laughs> she did show me. I was like, yeah, I was like, mom, right here. And I literally like jammed her fist into the exact yeah. place. And she was literally like the same way I was married to my combs. Yes. She was married to <laughs> my lower back. So yeah. Anyway, by the time I got my slippers, by the time I got this, by the time we walked down the hall, I remember this is when I was, I realized how many people were in our house because honestly, at this point, I thought like, I just felt this, I felt this like air of like, am I giving up really hardcore because everyone's just watching, like everyone's starting to pack up the home birth because of course, like they have nothing else to do because no one else can come to the hospital except for Lori um, and you. And I just like, I felt like I was doing like this walk of shame, like down the hallway, you know, just like, oh, here I go giving up, you know, and it was really tough for me to go through that and like really do the shadow work around that. Um, and then my, um, especially since so many parts of that team were optional too, like not everyone has their birth filmed or photographed, let alone having two separate individuals for each component part. So I think that like, we definitely didn't err on the side of like a tight, small birth crew. Yeah, but again, you don't, you, we could have had 50 people here and I wouldn't care. But at this point I was like, I felt like I was seeing the light at the end of the tunnel because I was like, okay, I really don't want an epidural. Like I know the risks that come with epidurals. Like I know that, you know, how it affects mom and baby. And if you don't know, just Google it. Um, And I really don't want antibiotics because I don't want to fuck up my gut that I have in perfect condition because I get it tested all the time through lovely poop tests. And the fact that my baby is going to have his like amazing bacteria that I have been building for him wiped out as well. So there's just so many things I didn't want to do. I really did not desire this per se, but what I wanted more than anything and the only option for me, for me to receive this was sleep. That was my number one priority. I had to sleep because I had no energy to go through this. And like pushing takes a lot of energy from what I heard up until this point. I had no experience up until this point. And so I just wasn't eating. I was nauseous. I was exhausted, et cetera. I remember going down the hallway and realizing, Jesus, there's a lot of people in here. And all of a sudden I see our assistant, Amelia, who spends every single day at her house, like six days a week, but she leaves around like 3 p.m. And we have the late afternoons and evenings to ourselves normally. And I know it's late at night because I see out the window and I know it's been dark for a while. And by the time I get to the hospital, it was like 2 a.m. or 1.30, 2 a.m. So I know that this is like 1 a.m. because we live 10 minutes away from the hospital. And I just remember being like, what the fuck is Amelia doing here? And thank God she was there because she packed the car for us. So we called the G-Wagon. Amelia packed the car for us. Thank God with the things that um, I had packed. We set up the, um, what do you call it? The car seat <coughs> a week prior. It took Brennan 
ages to finally do it. No, but. that's another whole story. Thank you very much. I could have easily done it in 10 minutes, but Catherine demanded that I take no, it. No, to, no, 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 yeah, no, no, yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. no, 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 you yeah, yeah, demanded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wanted no. to buy sandwiches for all the firemen. No, you, that was your you idea. wanted me to install it correctly with some assistance. And I said, I could do it myself. That is such a lie. Like, <laughs> I remember that part, at least, Brennan. No. Okay. 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 All right. <laughs> See, I told you we banter all the time. Anyway, so, okay. We get downstairs. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. This is a whole adventure. Getting down my hallway, two contractions in the elevator, two contractions. I'm telling you, they're coming every 30 seconds. I was losing my mind because I couldn't get very far between them. You know, usually you have like, one minute, two minutes. Some women, they're even in transition with three minutes apart, which is amazing. So you have this long break. I'm sure in three minutes, I could have made it down the hall, down the elevator, through the lobby and into the car. But I had to go through like five or six contractions during this point. And I just remember it's like 1 a.m. and there's no cars outside really, except for Lori's car and our car. And I think maybe one other car. The valets are all, you know, not preoccupied at all. So they're just watching. They're really like, you know, opening doors for us and all this stuff. And um, because usually we have like one person helping us, but now we have like three people or four people surrounding us. And they're like, is she okay? What's wrong? And Lori is just like, she's in labor. She's about to push out a baby (laughs) going to the hospital. And they're like, oh, okay, okay, be careful. And then I remember this valet guy like telling Brennan randomly to make sure that I had my seatbelt on, like make sure she has her seatbelt on. And I'm like, what? Like that is a least, I I mean, obviously it's a concern of mine, but least concern of mine right now. Like I am trying to figure out how I'm going to get through this back labor now in the car without my mom. Cause my mom walked me down to the car with her fists attached to my lower back. And I remember taking the breastfeeding pillow. I got in the back seat. Um, why did I get in the back seat? I don't know, but I got in the back seat because that was the best option for me for some reason. I took the breastfeeding pillow, which is like kind of like a thicker foam pillow. And every time I get a contraction, I would ram my back into this pillow. I just like, just hold on to Brennan in front, like his seat in front of me and just like squeeze it as hard as possible with my combs, guys, the combs went to the hospital too. I still have my combs on me. Those combs are memorialized forever. Like we should, I found them the other day. We need to put them like on a, on a, on a a trophy plaque in our house eventually. No, like we should get the little box with his birth certificate with like, just like make a little memento box anyway. So we're driving and Lori's in front of us. We're following her. She's in her car when our, we're in our car. And I would say 10 minutes, like, you know, there's no traffic, obviously. We get to Cedar Sinai. Are you going to miss that whole part? What whole part? The whole part where I recorded a video on my phone because Lori's mob and tail. Oh. Catherine's miserable in the back seat. So I, I drive fast, guys. Like, I'm not even going to lie. Like, I drive pretty quick. Not with Orion, not with Catherine, but like, women by myself, like, I, I love to drive. It's a need for speed. It's fun. It's great. It's safe. But I like to drive. So driving is very, very, um, uh, v- very calming and uh, nurturing for me. It's where I sit with my thoughts and stuff. So anyway, I'm used to driving pretty quickly. Lori clearly lives in Malibu or Topanga because she just books it. She's like, boom, let's go. We're getting to Cedars. This is my city. I'm the mayor. Let's get there. And if you know where we live, well, none of you guys know where we live, but we live on the outskirts of Beverly Hills. So we're effectively not Beverly Hills, but effectively we are essentially Beverly Hills. So we literally just drive straight down lower Santa Monica. Okay. And at two in the morning, there's no cars. 
but there are stoplights. And the stoplights in Beverly Hills are really dumb. Sorry, Beverly Hills. They're really stupid. And so one of them changed and Lori just took off and I was going to stop. And then I was just like, I'm not stopping with Catherine in the back. I don't even know if she's wearing a seatbelt. Like she's miserable. I I just drove through the red light and Beverly Hills is notorious. They have the worst meter maids in the world and a ton of red light cameras. So I definitely got a red light camera, no doubt. And I actually still have on my iPhone. I recorded like a 45-second video driving to Cedar sinai basically showing myself being like, I just ran a red light because my wife is in fucking labor and I expect you to remove this ticket immediately i think you showed like a clip of me moaning. i showed a clip of her like moaning in the back seat so anyway that's the funny part but yes we got the cedars wait okay so let me tell this part so Lori pulls up into the parking garage of the wing the labor and delivery wing and all of a sudden brennan's like oh no well that was important because why i'm was getting it? there oh sorry what <laughs> i'm saying we're pulling up and i'm like about to go to the next part and you're like Okay. So Brennan, see, he goes, oh no. And then he sees that the, um, what do you call it? The height, not the height, the capacity. What do you call it? It's like a height bar. You know, like the bars that hang over the top. There's a specific word for it. It says height limit. No, it doesn't. There's a specific word. Anyway, you guys know what I'm talking about. Oversized vehicle. No, 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 no. It's uh, (laughs) a, whatever. So there's a a bar that tells you like the, how high the vehicle can be right to get through, um, to avoid like semi trucks going to certain places. But if you know, G wagons are very tall cars. So our, um, max capacity or whatever has to be under six, six, no, it has to be higher than six, four. Yeah, six four. Uh, okay. Yes, six four is the minimum, okay. and we look at the bar and it says six two, and Brennan's like, "Oh shit!" And he turns around and starts driving around the hospital, like looking for alternatives. And I'm like, eh, "Fuck my life, man!" Like seriously, like I'm just gonna, we're just gonna. The contractions in the car are horrible if you've ever dealt with them. And I'm like, "Oh, here we go. Okay, just get me this fucking epidural, please. Just drop me off. Like do something." But at the same time, I'm like, okay, but I want Brennan to come in with me. So, okay, patience, and- patience, Catherine, let's find some parking. We drive around. There's like nothing going on. He calls Lori and Lori's like, oh no, but wait guys, there's a G-Wagon in here. No, no, no. She said, no, no, no. She said, just I'll meet bring, you there. bring Catherine to that, uh, to the parking garage entrance and just have her walk up to me. And then you can worry about parking yourself right? because she needs to go in. Right. And I'm like, great plan. Cause I don't give a fuck about anything. I just need to get in there and get that goddamn epidural. So <laughs> I'm walking up this hill cause it's like a hill entrance. Um, and Lori meets me. And of course I get contractions again and I'm like walking through, I'm trying to get into this hospital so fast that I'm just pushing myself through walking through them like and doing my own counter pressure at this point. I think at one point I gave up and Lori had to chime in and do the counter pressure. And then we get to the security and the security is not letting Lori in. And 
Oh, no. At this point, Lori goes, wait, there's G-Wagon. There's a G-Wagon parked in here. Why can't he come in? And I, we call Brennan. We're like, Brennan, there's a G-Wagon in here. Just drive up. Like, obviously, they fit, which they didn't because Brennan apparently hit something. But that's beside the point. No, it's, that is the point. The point is, no, is, the that, point is- no, that those height limit bars are always actually lower than the height limit. And that's yeah. intentional. Yeah. So I, I didn't hit anything in the garage, but I had to reach out above the car and lift the little height bar thing. And as I drove oh, past it, yes, it hit the roof of the car. <laughs> That's what I was trying to tell both of you, but you were too in the labor to yeah, give two shits about it. Yeah, we don't care about the bar yeah. in labor. Sorry. Also, another important point was we did not want to go to the emergency room entrance um, for a very specific reason. We went through the actual, like the labor and delivery parking garage where like you schedule a labor and delivery appointment yeah, and that's because emergency. well it was because Catherine was GBS positive and because she had already been in labor for so long that being GBS positive and being in labor for that long basically would have started a process where a lot of our rights that led to C-section. a lot of our rights and a lot of our decisions would have essentially been taken away because they're like oh my god you've been in labor so long we got to get the baby out this is an emergency and we didn't want that because we knew with our backup, Dr. Crane, that everything was fine. It was an optional transfer. It was not the end of the world. The baby was fine. Yeah, the labor and- was fine. Catherine was struggling. And that's why we were there. Not because there was an actual emergency that required us to go in. Yeah. And Abby said, I uh, am very confident, like a hundred percent that your water did not break because there just hasn't been a single leak. Like it, with the contractions, there was no other gush of liquid that I ever experienced through labor. And that just wouldn't be the case if there's an actual leak. So she's like, I really don't think that your water's broken. So just tell them that your water hasn't broken and they can break your water for you. Um, should you choose or should they deem it necessary before pushing? So I parked the car. You park while you're parking, Lori's arguing with the security guard because the <laughs> security guard is not letting her through. And she's like, this woman is the only woman in all of Cedar Sinai that never lets me through. And everyone else like knows me here. And so she's frustrated. And I'm frustrated because I'm having contractions as they're arguing. And like, I'm like, oh my God. And Lori's like, can I please call the charge nurse from your phone? Like, can I talk to someone? Like we have Dr. Paul Crane. He has a room for us. And what an amazing man, literally at 2 a.m. Lori calls him and says, hey, Catherine needs you. And he shows up in the cutest form I've ever seen, he has bed head and wearing a little sweater with a little bag with him. And he's just like showing up. Like it felt like, it felt like coming. It felt like your grandpa was visiting you. You know what I mean? It was just so cute. Like it feels like so a, it, freaking cute. It feels like it feels, here's what I, uh, my mom bless her soul always said to me, I don't care what you do, but I always care that you're safe. I don't care if you've been drinking or if you out, you know, you you got into a situation you shouldn't be in. If you call me, I will never punish you on the spot. You call me, you need a ride home. My Always- mom said that too, but I would get punished. <laughs> <laughs> So she would, and I never really used it that I can remember, but the point was, I always knew I could always call my mom if I was in a situation where my DD had drank in high school, who knows what it was, right? Any, any sort of issue she would show up. And it, that was kind of what it felt like. It felt like you're like calling the parent in like the situation you don't want to call the parent. You really don't want to call them or be there, but you need them and they show up and they're, he just brought this gentle, calm certain energy into that room 
there's just so much before he showed up that I just remembered. Like there's so much before he showed up. But like the point was that she called him and he was on his way. Yes. And he already had a room for us. Yes. So I felt very VIP. I'm telling you, if you're in Los Angeles and you need a doula who will have your back at Cedar sinai very specifically, I think she has way more connections there than other hospitals. Um, and, and, or you're doing a home birth, like hire Lori Bregman. I'm telling you, she is on fire, freaking amazing VIP experience everywhere you go, any connection that you need, it's always a VIP experience. So she's like, we have a room, right? So they're like going back and forth. And, um, I think she was like, no, only two of you can go. And so I'm like, Lori, I need you because I need you to like, literally like, you know, my birth preferences and you know what they could or might impose on us and how to shut it down or how to ask for what we need and all these things. Um, so I need you more than Brennan initially, like while we're getting set up. And so at some point, I think like the other security guard, cause she left was like, it's fine. You guys can all go through together. So we all go through together and mind you, I'm still having contractions like every 30 seconds to a minute. Maybe it's spread apart to a minute because whenever you are new to some sort of like new scenario, whenever you're introduced to something new in labor, your body will shift and it will slow down labor either a teeny bit or a lot because your body just doesn't feel safe until it feels settled. And then it goes back because now it feels safe. So, okay, a minute apart now. Great. I have a little break. We go to the front desk and I'm thinking we're just going to go straight to a room. No, we're at the front desk and now they're passing me. No, they're asking me a million questions. I'm like showing my ID, showing my insurance card again, in between contractions. Now there's a woman with an iPad. She's like, I'm just going to have you sign some things. Sign a few things. I'm literally like, ma'am, I can can barely see you right now. (laughs) Like I'm just not in the headspace. I just need a fucking epidural. Okay. I don't need any of these signatures. I don't need any talks. I don't need, I don't need to talk to any of you. Just take me to a room, insert that needle. Let me fucking sleep, please. Of course I didn't say that. I'm just like, okay. All right. And then in between contractions, Brennan, like Brennan inter interject. This poor woman, and he's man, like, she did not have any idea what putting an iPad in front of my wife, having contractions at three o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning, whatever was going to lead her into. But I went full, like, Call the lawyers. My people talk to your people. I ain't signing shit unless I read everything. And of course, it's the hospital. So there's like 400 pages. Yeah. And Brennan is reading everything. But I'm like reading everything because I had done my research and we knew. And what I didn't realize, actually, maybe this is a, I hope this helps anyone who's doing a hospital birth. You will sign away a lot of your rights. I'm just going to say this. This is just the truth. You're going to sign away a lot of your rights on paper when you check in. That's just the truth. Um, But that does not change the fact that you have a right to be informed and to make decisions throughout the hospital process. So when they say, I'm going to do this to you, you can just simply say, no. Hey, wait, yeah. or no, I, I'd be like, um, I'd actually like to take a minute to uh, think about this and talk with my husband. Can you explain this more to me? I'm not sure I'm ready for that. Yeah. Um, I would like to just pause for a few. All those things are in your power. Now, you technically waive your technical power um, in terms of like a legal contract sense because you are signing stuff that is basically allowing the hospital the ability to, in essence, save your life if something were oh, to go seriously sure. yeah. wrong. And I'm down for saving Of course, lives. exactly. Yeah. 100%. This isn't about like getting in the way of things. I, Catherine and I are just My big proponents. My preferences are more so like no – this no like like skin is skin right away like yes. delayed cord clamping 
uh, but also collect the blood. And, and that was all things. communicated really well with yeah. our team, with Paul, with Dr. Crane. He knew that going in, what the vibe was okay, or we what we wanted. Gone to- Paul Crane, let's stay on track. Okay. Okay. We're at the front desk signing an iPad (laughs) and we keep fucking up because what a stupid system. It's like the same, you know, like when you, when a paper asks for your initials versus signature, it's like the initials box is tiny. So it's like very obvious. This is not my whole signature it's my initials and the signature box is huge. So you're like, yeah, I'm going to put my signature here. No, here we have everything the same box and it just says in tiny writing, like initial here and signature here. So the amount of times we had to delete my signature and put my initials or delete my initials and put my signature in between contractions or asking me questions or asking me to email my insurance card. I'm like about to lose my mind. This is like a 15 minute process. Then we get to the room. Thank God. We just walk to the room. There's no triage. There's none of that. It's just like straight to the room. I see the bed and I'm like, oh my God, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. No. First of all, the nurse is like saying something. Uh, she's like talking again. I'm like incoherent. I barely, I'm barely listening. I'm just like, I just need an epidural. And every person that comes to the room, like epidural stat, 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 stat. Now, please fast, fast, fast. But of course they have to do all their hospital procedures. And the truth was these nurses were very nice. Oh, everyone was amazing. Everyone was amazing. But I also know that, you know, the type of birth that we were, that our, was our birth plan that we were intending to do is not very typical hospital procedure. So we, you know, opted out of a lot of things and had a lot of requests about certain things. Yeah. And, and, you know, the nurses, I think in some but ways, I weren't opt super. Out. I couldn't opt out of like hydration or right. I, um, the antibiotics. IV antibiotics. So right, exactly. let's get to that part. So there's a nurse, she comes in and she was like, we're going to um, get you hooked up to fluids. And I'm like, can I get an epidural? <laughs> and she's like, first you need to get fluids for 15 minutes. And I'm like, motherfucker, I have 15 <laughs> contractions. Until the epidural. So they start and thank God for these combs because the combs, you guys, they may have barely worked for transitional kind of feeling labor. Like, yeah, they help. But at some point, it's just so intense. Uh, Very, very good for early to early active labor. Phenomenal. I still was married to my combs because I was still like I probably almost punctured my hands at some point. But when they stick needles in you, oh my God, you don't even feel it with the combs. So use the combs for for anything. Like just fun fact in life. If you have to go get an IV or a shot or something, just bring your combs with you. So they go into my left hand and they just start digging, man. They start digging. I think they like blow up three blood vessels and I'm so dehydrated. And I understand why, because especially I know I get so many IVs. And there's only like two veins that are awesome for IVs and the rest just honestly. No, just, they're fine. Hold on. I'm going to say small, this right now. They're small. A they're fine, people, but they're small. A lot of people call Catherine a hard stick. And if you're in the medical community, you know what that means. It just means she's a hard person to get in a, a line, uh, you know, in a, in a needle, in a line for blood draw, for IVs, et cetera. However, someone can always do it. And yeah. what I've learned over time is that Confidence. everyone who calls it, her a hard stick is the least qualified person to do it. And they always go find some nurse or some doctor who has more certainty, more confidence and more experience yeah. and they always get it. And so the lesson is, is like, really, is it, it's, it, Catherine gets hurt a lot because people don't feel confident and then they miss your veins. Yeah. But 
Long story she missed short, three or four veins. That's for sure. She was very sweet, but she missed three or four veins. Yeah. And your hand hurt for days afterwards. It was it, no, it was the other one that hurt. But this one was so bruised. I had it turned like purple for for a week. Okay. Anyway, she's digging around, and I'm with the comb, so I'm like, fine. It doesn't hurt that bad. But I also understand because I was severely dehydrated. Yes, like of I threw up all day. I did not want water. Like water was disgusting, but I was forced to drink it. And you like, ate like 10 pieces of watermelon, a little bit of coconut water and yeah, some water in like 48 hours Yeah, or th- yeah, 48 Whatever. hours at this point. Cause I didn't eat anything all night when I was in early labor. So, um, okay. So she brings another nurse. They go into my other hand and she gets it on the first try. Awesome. But now, like, it's been 10 minutes, right? Because they have to find the other nurse. Or they, they have to come back, do the other hand. So, again, 10 more contractions. I'm about to lose my mind, you guys. And at this point, I'm like, should I just have stayed at home? Like, what if the baby have come out already if I just would have stayed at home? Because I still have to deal with the contractions anyway. And, okay, we're doing hydration. And now I'm like, okay, where is this anesthesiologist? And... um so like 10 minutes go by, you know, I have my hydration, whatever. And an anesthesiologist walks in and she is like a resident uh, student, you know, resident student anesthesiologist. And Lori goes, uh-uh, we don't, we don't do that here. Like we want the attending anesthesiologist. And of course she's like, okay. Um, she's not very happy about that. She's not very happy about that. Understandably so. And yeah. we talked about this a lot. Like, again, this isn't like um, th- this... Listen, this is how you get doctors. You know, you need to have teaching hospitals. You need to have students. These are obviously at Cedar sinai in Los Angeles, probably some of the best residents you can possibly imagine on the planet. But again, it's just you're paying for the hospital bill. You want the, just, the, the person yeah. who has the most experience putting something in your back and oh, your spine. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I, again, I, I, I think doctors are incredible. I am so grateful that there are so many students who become excellent doctors. And it was just a personal preference. But it was funny how Lori so quickly just said, um, no, we don't do residents. Uh, we'll have the attending. And that pissed this woman Lori, off. Lori can definitely trigger people, but trust me. But she has. In that state she, of mind, you want Lori. She has your back in, in a way um, that you cannot fathom. And whether you hire her, we are in no way affiliated with Lori Bregman outside of just an outstanding friendship and massive, massive appreciation. Uh, but whether you hire her or any other excellent doula, I cannot, this is like my number one advice to men, especially if you're a guy who's taken the backseat on the pregnancy or maybe mostly just allowed your, you know, your, your wife or your partner, uh, your baby mama to, to take the lead on this. Definitely be involved with the doula. Definitely have an opinion. If you can charge it through insurance, I would definitely ask those questions because Lori was an advocate that I couldn't have imagined, not only at home, but also at the hospital. And she ended up being with us for almost 40 hours. 50. 50 hours. Okay. So, all right. Let's rewind. So, (laughs) uh, okay. So she's preparing my back. And this is when I start praying. Like, I just remember being like, God, angels, universe, energies of the highest good, all the beings of light, Don Javier, let's add you in here too. Like, everybody who in the spirit world it guides me, protects me, like, please protect my fucking spine right now because I am terrified of epidurals. Again, under no circumstances that I want one. Even while sitting there, like, even when I had one, I still didn't want it, but I was so desperate for sleep. I was so grateful for it in the end because it allowed me to get the rest I needed. 
So she's preparing my back and I'm getting contractions and it's horrible because I'm sitting there still. The anesthesiologist walks in and she's like, all right, you're going to feel a little numbness right now. This is the numbing stuff. And, you know, felt some stuff going. It was weird. It felt like my spine was drinking water. Like I could feel liquid uh, pouring down my spine. It's very weird, very weird feeling. And I'm like, okay. And then she puts in another needle. I don't even remember. I think it was like a series. It's like a series of three steps. And she puts in another needle and then she puts the catheter in. I think it's, yeah, those three steps. And again, I feel more liquid pouring, but it's like a warm liquid now. And then she's like, okay, now it's going to hit you in like 10 to 15 minutes. Of course, again, I'm like, great. 10 to 15 more contractions. (laughs) Uh, thankfully it hit me in like two minutes. Honestly, I felt tingles. I already felt the alleviation. Fantastic. Uh, all of a sudden I can't feel my legs. What I'll tell you guys, if you're considering an epidural or just have had one, you'll probably remember this or just something I didn't know. I, I know that you go numb. I know that you're numbed from your waist down. That is very obvious. That's how it works. I know you can't feel, feel your legs. What I didn't realize was that your brain literally disconnects from your legs to the point where you forget that you have legs. I'm not even joking because when the nurse finally, she put me on my side so I can sleep and they put me in a position where the baby would never go sunny side up because if you're on your back for too long, the baby can flip. And especially since he was just swimming around in there, he could flip. And then that's a position where he's more likely to get stuck. Like it's more painful. It's harder to push like all those things. Um, they put me on my side, my left side and had me on a peanut ball. So that baby was always in prime position, but in order to do that, they had to like flip me over. Right. Well, at this point I'm like seeing my legs. And the first time I saw my legs when they were doing this, like 15 minutes after I got the epidural and I was numb, I was like, what? I don't have legs. Why do like, whose legs are these? I swear to God. I'm like, whose legs are these? I'm like, I don't have legs. And I'm like, wait, what the fuck? I do have legs. I have an epidural, but what? This is so weird. And then touching my legs. Oh my God. Especially when pushing and grabbing my own legs. It's like, you feel like you're, you're grabbing a dead body's legs, but they're warm obviously because you're alive, (laughs) but it feels like you're holding a dead body. It's so bizarre. So anyway, uh, Dr. Paul Crane walks in when I have my epidural, my epidural hits me. Now he walks in. He's like, Hey guys, you know, just like very chill, like very calm. The lights are dim. Like, uh, Lori puts candles all around. It's just chill now because I'm finally relaxed. I'm not feeling contractions. He comes in and he's like, all right, like, how about we check you? And so like, let's just see where we're at. And he kind of gets a low down again from Lori of what, what's happened so far. And he checks me and I was literally like six centimeters, I think five or six. I I barely progressed from the time we left our house. And I was like, well, thank God I'm relaxed now. So I'll I'll progress a lot faster. And he's like, yeah, just get your sleep. I'll see you in about two or three hours and I'll just check you again. Um, And I'm going to go take a nap. And I'm like, perfect. You sleep. I sleep. See you later. I just kept like praying that everyone would just keep leaving the room so I can keep sleeping. I was like, I'm not pushing this baby out for a while. Like everyone leave me alone. I'll see you tomorrow. So they dim the lights. Brennan get, gives me a sleep mask. He sleeps on the couch because there's a little couch. And then Lori 
grabs a bunch of pillows and makes like a bed on the floor. I tried to give that woman the couch because she honestly deserved it. She was working just as she was working harder than me. And I don't I don't mean that to like knock myself like I was being lazy or not. She was, I was doing super, so much body work. I was me. super present for Catherine throughout all this. I was doing a lot. I'm really proud of myself. I'm proud of the way I showed up. I'm proud. I mean, even Lori was like the way you showed up was so magnificent. And <laughs> Lori showed up even harder than that because she was at least in the shower more than me. Um, one of us was spraying, spraying Catherine, but Lori was also like massaging, doing body work, all at Energy home with, work. With, with, with almond oil and scrubs and just like crazy. So and she brings the biggest bags of things with she, her too, with all one, kinds of tools. She 100% deserved that couch, but she refused. And she's I tried like, to she's force like, her. I do, Brendan, I do this all the time. Yeah. Like, good night. Just, yeah. just get your sleep. She's like, so, shut up, go to bed. Like yeah. I need to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we all sleep. I think a couple hours go by, it goes by, um, doc comes back in. He checks me. I'm like, an extra centimeter dilated. Great. We're at a seven. Awesome. Still. I don't think you, I think we went from five to six, honestly, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like minimal. And I'm like, God, God damn. Like I slept, I had an epidural and I'm still barely dilating. But one thing that's important to mention, and like, you'll hear a lot about like fetal heart rate monitoring, like, like, uh, what's it called? Continuous monitoring. Yeah. You'll hear a lot about that in the home birth space and whether that's something that you need to do. Intermittent monitoring. Intermittent monitoring monitoring versus continuous. You'll hear a lot about that in like the conscious birth space. And when you go to the hospital for an epidural, it's just, it's a requirement. You're, they strap you in. I got everything I didn't want. Yeah. Everything I didn't want. I just said, yes to eventually. It's what happened. And (laughs) and you know what? And, and, and I'm proud of us for, because it's so hard to pivot when you have so much buy-in and especially in this world, like when we're wrong or when we have new information we have to adjust to, it is really hard because it attacks our identity, everything that matters to us Mm -hmm. the most to make a decision. Like think about, you know, I don't even want to bring up anything, but if you are convinced of something, there is so much pain tied to your identity, to admitting that you're wrong. It becomes really hard to really hard to admit that you're wrong or really hard. Not even that you're wrong, but that you have to, that you decide that you desire a change. It's hard to get to that place. So anyway, Catherine, we, this was not what we wanted, but here we are and it's life and it's birth. And all we cared about was healthy mom, healthy baby. That was what mattered to me. That was what mattered to Catherine. That's what mattered to our team. And everyone supported us in that. But I will say one difference in the hospital, especially as I was falling asleep, was I could now see the contractions on the monitor because I could now see the the and Catherine also didn't really talk about it, but they started running antibiotics and pitocin uh, with the um, with the epidural because typically as as typically when you get the epidural, it slows the speed and the magnitude of the contractions. And that's why they then add Pitocin, which is synthetic oxytocin to then increase them. Well, the cool thing, ironically, even though this is like everything we learned and read that we didn't want, one irony of it was now I could actually see Catherine's progress because I'm a visual charts guy. I'm a money finance guy. And I could see on the charts, I could see these peaks and these troughs in her contractions. So I could tell how intense they were, how long they were, how in between they were. And so actually it was crazy. One of the craziest things was you fell asleep fast because the epidural hit your head and you hit the sack. Lori hit the sack, but I was like on my phone because I was like, I mean, I was stressed. Like I was honestly, I think Catherine was in pain, but maybe less stress. I, my ass was stressed. 
I was like tweaking a little bit because I was like trying to defend your choices, the way you wanted this to go, all that, right? So anyway, I, I say that because I was watching this screen and the craziest thing is when she had got there and first gotten the continuous monitoring, her contractions were like, I thought they were big, but they were like actually pretty small. And they were causing her so much pain. Which is so weird. But then when she was sleeping. I think it's because they got really strong after they broke the water though. It's because the water is um, preventing my uterus from contracting as hard as it could. Exactly. Even though I feel it intensely. Right. But even overnight, because didn't he break it in the morning? I think he broke it in the morning. No, he hasn't broken it yet. I'm already on Pitocin and Epidural. I got you. So, but what I'm saying is that that night when you were sleeping, I could see on the screen, you went from, let's just say a three to a five, six on the scale, because I could see these mountains, mountains, meaning up the mountain is the size of the contraction and down the mountain is is, you know, when it, when it would wean off. And so I could see that. And, and that was just an interesting thing. It's just funny because Catherine's strongest contraction she had had the whole night was when in the middle of the night, when she was dead asleep on an Mm -hmm. epidural (laughs) sleeping, and she slept a lot over the next 12 hours. Well, they kept waking me up every 30 minutes to switch positions, which is fine. I barely remember that because I just fall back asleep. That was annoying. He came back 5 a.m. and he was like, okay, let's break your water and see if it'll dilate you a little faster. Cause he's like, all right, we're not getting anywhere. It's already, you know, we're already an hour 35 or 36 or whatever. So let's break your water. And again, we're at the hospital now. So I had no fears of breaking my water because if I had cord prolapse, like they just roll me to the C section immediately. And I'd be totally okay with that because I know the dangers of cord prolapse. So, but also at the same time, I'm telling Dr. Crane, like, uh, can you just make sure the cord is not going to come out first? And he's like, of course, like, of course, duh. Like that's, they, they, that's what they do. Right. (laughs) That's what they make sure of. But I'm like, so concerned that I literally am like telling him like, please make sure that the head comes down first before the cord. And also he checked on the ultrasound to make sure like baby's in the right position and all those things. So he can get a view of, um, of it himself. And there is no cord under the head anyway. So it's perfect. They break the water and I don't, I I just, I feel like a gush of liquid. I actually feel that, which is very weird because I don't feel anything else, but I felt the gush of liquid. Um, and then I go back to bed and Dr. Green's like, all right, time for another nap. I'll see you in a couple hours. Um, I'm going to go sleep too. And I don't know where he's sleeping, but apparently there's like a nap lounge or something in the hospital for doctors. And so I'm like, all right, great. Good night. Like see you tomorrow and or see you in a few hours. And every time he'd say, I'll like, I'm going to go back and, or I'm going to go somewhere and I'll come back later. I'm like, yes, please keep leaving. Not because I don't love him, but because I just wanted to keep sleeping. So he leaves, I go back to bed. He comes back in a couple hours. He checks me again, maybe another centimeter. And he's like, all right, I have a woman who's like experiencing some bleeding. I'm going to go to the office. I'm going to go check her. And, you know, he has his other patients during the day and he's with me all night and he goes to his patients, comes back in a couple hours and I'm like at an eight or nine. And he is like, it's very interesting because same as what Abby said, I'm very like, uh, I have a very thin cervix at this point. So it's very like pliable and openable. And he was like, even at a nine centimeters, you could probably push this baby out. Like we don't have to wait to 10 centimeters. Let's just see how you do with pushing. And Lori goes, no, let's go get coffee first. 
And so Lori um, gets coffee with Dr. Crane. Lori also gets coffee with Brennan at some point. I think those are two different visits, right? They are two different visits. And actually, this was the this was the moment, I'm going to be honest, Catherine had no idea. She had no concept of this at all. I didn't find this out until afterwards, but this was the peak doubt of this whole experience. There was actually a C-section on the table. Um, Dr. Crane was concerned about certain stuff because, of course, they're – they they know that when they do a C-section, they will deliver the baby safely and, and help the mother. The downside of C-sections, if there is any downside, because Recovery, all, that, all that matters is health of mother and baby. Really? Everything else is preferences. Like, I don't care how convicted you are that it's home birth, that it's that it's cesarean, that it's I will a argue, scheduled- though, something because a lot of people say healthy mom and healthy baby in the birth space. And it's actually very um, undermining of the mom. Because mental health also matters. Emotional health also matters. So it's not just healthy mom, healthy baby, because a lot of women do get abused in the birth space. And at the end, they just say, well, at least you're healthy and the baby's healthy. But the mom is severely traumatized. And so is the baby. Sorry. I, I, first of all, I really... I really respect that. And I appreciate that feedback. I don't think that's what I meant, but I do appreciate you saying that. No, I know. I'm not, I'm not saying you specifically. I'm just anyone who's listening, just... I think it's helpful. I, I think what I'm trying to say, because I've done a lot of research in this space and I know what Catherine's talking about, let me clarify my comments. What I'm simply saying is when I say health of mom, I don't just mean physical health, meaning you've been emotionally or psychologically traumatized, but your body's fine. Yeah. I'm talking about health, meaning all three, physical, mental, emotional, psychological, spiritual, like everything. Okay? That's five. <laughs> five, whatever. So that's what I mean when I say healthy mom. I mean healthy on all of those yep. columns. Yep, okay. Yep. Um, but this was with the peak moment of doubt. And you can have a conscious C-section. Of and course Paul, you can. And Dr. Paul Crane does deliver those. I Absolutely. Sure. And I think, you know, I, I'd like to, um, this is not my po- podcast. This is Catherine's podcast, <laughs> but you know, with your permission, Catherine, I'd love to probably tag in the show notes, uh, where people can find our birth team. Um, simply oh, yeah. because hire we, you, you we, better hire them. <laughs> we are not affiliated in any way. There's no benefit to us. We just feel like the LA community has such an incredible, special conscious birth community. And, um, you know, there's so many people that you don't really know what you're looking for until you find resources, until you listen to courses or podcasts or whatever. And I would like just to offer the opportunity to, to, to connect with our team, even if you're not hiring them because you live somewhere else, but just to learn from that, um, is, is really important to me. But, um, yeah, so we'll tag all those people in the show notes that are there. I think for me, um, you know, what I'm trying to say about all of this was I had to accept that probably the thing we wanted the least as a preference was a C-section as a preference was a C-section. And in these moments where Lori went and talked to Dr. Crane and then talked to me Mm -hmm. was the peak moment where I realized we were in a situation where we're going to do everything we could kid everything we could to give you the maximum amount of your birth plan preferences as possible. But at the end of the day, we just had to deal with what we had to deal with. Well, it's interesting. What's really cool. Just a side comment that because you always hear, I always heard in like hospitals, like baby's heart rate is dropping, baby's heart rate is dropping. And that's normal when you have contractions and things like that. But this little guy had the most consistent heart rate of any like birth that I've ever watched or heard about 
His heart rate never dropped once. It was just the most consistent. So when you say like a C-section is on the table, I was like, how, when, why? Like nothing was happening. Like everything was fine. Right. But I think that's where there was, there was a gradient uh, of information flow between you and between like there was certainly information being passed from Crane to Lori. And then not all of that information was being passed from Lori to me. And then even less and was Abby, being passed to Abby you. was on the phone. Abby Dr. was on the Crane phone too. too. So anyway, the whole point. My mid- and what's so cool is my midwife was involved. Obviously, like first she slept, I'm sure. But when the morning came and all these discussions happened and also when I ended up pushing, she was on freaking FaceTime, like in the room with us via FaceTime. She never left my side. So it felt like I had Abby, you know, very much part of the birth regardless. So when Lori went and talked to Dr. Crane with Abby, our midwife, um, you know, I don't want to say too much or too little, um, but I would just say that it was really kind of like, you know, a temperature check. They wanted to see where everyone was. Um, you know, the doctor's job, it's his ass on the line at the hospital to make sure everything goes okay. And I think Lori and Abby were simply just reassuring him that things looked good and that you were capable and just kind of extending the window. Like we've got time. She's doing well. Let's just give it a little bit longer. Let's nurture that. They were advocates for Catherine and for me, even behind closed doors in ways that I couldn't see, which is why I'm such a huge advocate of having those people part of your team. And But then when Lori also took me aside and we had coffee, I did not really want coffee, but I was like, I was exhausted, but I was also like not exhausted. But Lori sat down with me and and she, you know, was pretty clear with me that, you know, there was a chance and that, you know, we were going to just do the best that we can and that you were going to be taken care of. And I think because of the relationship I had with her, because I made those appointments with her, because I watched the course with her, because I had invested the time as the partner as the birth partner to be connected with her, I felt like she understood me and we were in this, um, we had this rapport where I knew she was going to take care of us, not according to what she thought, but according to what she knew of us. Um, and so when we came back, it was basically like Lori and I, when Lori and I came back, it was like, we knew in the next four hours, we were going to have our best shot next three or four hours was going to be our best shot. And that, we were probably going to have a baby in, in the early afternoon was the yeah. timeline. And every time you guys would leave the room, I'm like, yes, please leave. So there came a time when they were very much in action mode and I couldn't go back to bed and I was fine with it. Cause I think I got like a total of seven hours of sleep at this point, which sounds great, but you know, over three nights, not very much. I was still exhausted, but I felt so much better. And I remember asking for apple juice because you guys were like, Oh, this is okay. So at this point, Dr. Crane's like, okay, now I'm going to be right back and we're going to start pushing in like the next hour. And so Lori is like, all right, Catherine, it's game time. And she starts giving me a whole course, like literally getting on the floor. She got on the floor and she got in position and showed me exactly what was going to happen, exactly what I would feel, what to listen for, exactly how to breathe. I had like this entire PhD in pushing. And she was like, all right, Catherine, it's going to take a lot of energy. You have to go hard, go as hard as you can, give it all you got. Like, can I give you um, any like energy, you know, juice? Can I give you this? Can I give you jello? Can I give you that? Whatever they had at the hospital. Um, and I was like, give me apple juice. And so Brennan just started making me chug, like brought, no, he didn't make me chug. He brought the biggest cup of apple juice I've ever seen. And I, it was chugged. like a tub. It was like a trough. It was like a 
Yeah. It was like a trough with ice in it. It was huge. So I started chugging this apple juice. This apple juice is giving me life. It's like sugar, so delicious, so cold. It's like my only calories I've had in the last 30 hours. It's amazing. So I'm drinking and Dr. Crane comes back and he's like, okay, we're at like a nine, nine and a half, but let's do some practice pushes. Let's just see what your push will do to your cervix, what it'll do to your baby, what it's going to do to your vagina. Like, let's just see what's going to happen. And at this moment, our nurse, our main nurse, Judy, she like had to take a mandatory lunch break. And so she just like disappears from the room for like half an hour. Right. Uh, and you know, everyone's cool with it because they're like, Catherine's gonna be pushing for at least like four to five hours for sure. Because how this labor is going so far, like this pushing, we're going to be here until the evening. And so with Lori's coaching, I'm like, fuck yeah. And uh, mind you at this point, now that I'm rested, now that I don't feel as much pain, which I forgot this detail. The epidural started to wear off in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and I started to feel my contractions again and I begged them to numb me again. And Dr. Crane's like, no, don't numb her too much because then she can't push. And I remember being like, I will give you the best goddamn push in the world. Please numb me again. And so they brought back the anesthesiologist and he numbed me again. And so that was great. And then he was like, do you, are you still numb? And I'm like, yes. And he's like, man, we have to take the numbness down because I want you to feel your pushing. And I'm like, I will push like, like just give me. And Lori's like, just see how she's going to push the way she is right now. Um, because we don't want her to be too uncomfortable. And the reason why I was feeling pain at this point was because of baby boy's butt being in my ribs. He's been in my ribs for half the pregnancy, like very early on, because this little guy came out nine pounds, one ounce, 20, almost 23 inches long. And he got, a, he got, he got a caboose like daddy he's too. He's so long. Oh my God. And so he was, and I have a short torso torso. So he was just in my ribs constantly. And every time I'd have a Braxton Hicks or a normal contraction, like I would feel some, it felt like, felt like my uterus was going to snap my ribs at any point. It was so uncomfortable. So I wanted to get rid of that feeling. Cause I'm like, this is for sure going to distract me from pushing. So he's like, okay, let's do a practice push. He, uh, you know, gets in front of my vagina to look right. And then Lori and Brennan and Judy, the nurse are all like kind of, um, or no, she's not there yet. There's another nurse. There's someone else in the room. And they're all like, you guys are helping me with my legs. Cause I literally cannot pick them up. They're like dead weight. And We're I like don't, I don't them. feel them, but I also have to hold them myself too behind my knees. And I remember my IV in my right hand kept jolt, like, jamming against my legs and it hurt so bad, but I just would ignore that pain because that pain was like nothing compared to what I was feeling before. And this is guys where the power of manifestation and the power of visualizing and the power of intention paid off because at this point I was conscious enough and had the energy for applying. Let's apply a little manifestation here. And I used so much visualization. I remember like visualizing energy flowing from the top of my uterus towards Dr. Crane. And I would see Orion literally coming down and like his head going fast down the canal. And I could just hear everyone's voices being like, oh my God, oh my God, this is great. Holy shit. She's pushing so well. I literally visualize all this, babe, because I knew that was my only chance. And so of course we do the Okay, deep breath in, deep breath out, deep breath in again. And one, two, they count to 10 and I push like I'm taking a big poop. And all of a sudden, everyone's eyes go wide. Dr. Crane is like, oh, 
okay, all right. Like, and he immediately like turns around and grabs his like gown and gloves and everything. Cause he's like, all right, the baby just moved down a whole inch. And you know, they don't say that they say like plus one, plus two, plus three or zero minus one, minus two, minus three. It's like the positions in the pelvis. And he's like, baby just went from zero or plus one to like minus one or something like that. Like something very crazy for one push. And of course, in my head, I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, fuck yeah, bitches. Like that's that's the power of my visualization and manifestation. And every single push, I just kept doing the same thing. I would direct all my energy and I just had this faith and I just knew that I would have no issues pushing. And of course, I just kept moving Orion along and they were like, uh, no, here's the thing. They would say like first time moms will push for many, many hours. And like, if you can push in an hour, it's, uh, considered very fast. And you could be hearing this as like a whole hour of pushing. That's a fucking long time. The thing is, is though you're only pushing during contractions. And so if you're having contractions every three minutes, like that really breaks it down to only so many pushes. So I'm pushing, pushing, pushing. And every single push, they're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. We see the hair, we see the head, we, this, that, like every single push to be progress. It'd be like a few where he would go back in a little bit, but for the most part, he kept coming out Mm -hmm. and coming out. And so that even though I wasn't a 10 centimeter dilation, like his head basically got me there really quickly. Um, and so I was pushing and then Brennan, I could just see Brennan. Cause you always wonder like, is, is my guy going to like, look is, you know, is he one of those people that's going to hide and like not want to see anything? Or is he legit going to like enjoy the whole TV show that's happening, you know, between my legs and Brennan's face was so animated. He was so excited. He was just staring just staring between my legs and every single progress that would happen. He'd just be like, Oh my God, babe, his head. Oh my God. You could do this. Oh my God. His head is out. Oh my God. It's just like watching every single step. And I'm like, hell yeah. I'm proud of you, babe. Not only that, <laughs> what was I doing? What, what was I doing passively during that time? Setting up a camera. Yeah. So we have our, like, Oh, we have a whole top of, the, top of the line. Sony alpha one, uh, in like it, this, this camera's insane. Uh, shout out to two of our mentors, mentors, uh, Jeremy Austin and Angie for getting me on the A1 train, but literally brought this beast of a camera into the hospital. And it's like, it has it the doctor's view. It has like the doctor's view. I didn't shoot an 8K because it would destroy the camera, but <laughs> I shot it in 4K, like pretty, it's pretty crazy. Like it's, it's pretty crazy. Like I got I the whole I don't think thing. I even pushed for a whole hour because the camera... You set up the camera maybe like five or 10 minutes into pushing. Cause I, I was like for 20 minutes. I think I pushed for 20 minutes and even less because in the camera, the baby was out at minute 10 or minute 13. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. And so that's already 13 minutes in and we, you set up the camera like five minutes into pushing. So I, I think it was 20 minutes now that I think about it. So I'm going to change that part of my story. But everyone had a different experience too. Like one of the things we talked about during and after, like mostly after, but especially I talked about with Lori, it was like, your hard part was all Leading pre up to it. labor and early labor yeah. was a nightmare for I you. I mean, I deserve the easy pushing. You deserve the easy pushing. And and it was because it's like some people may have really easy uh, uh, pre-labor and early labor, which gets the baby all the way to the cervix. And then like pushing can be really hard because all of that is pushing against that final thing. For you, it was kind of like, you were spent all your time clearing the way for an easy pushing experience. 
Yeah. Sorry. My mom texted something and I got really distracted. That's postpartum brain. Um, so all of a sudden baby's head comes out and then, oh, and they set up a mirror so I could see this. So I'm watching this too, because I'm very interested and I'm not like, I'm telling you the amount of other people's vaginas that I have seen with heads coming out of them is insane. Like I, I'm very desensitized. I don't see it as anything traumatic. I don't see anything gross. It's a complete normal thing to come across my Instagram. It's like, you know, coming across a selfie, just a vagina and a head coming out because I follow so many birth accounts and I'm watching myself and I see the head and I see all this hair and I'm like, there's the heartburn. There's the heartburn. That was so validating for you. (laughs) (laughs) There's all that heartburn. And, uh, and they were like, feel the head. And like, it's like so squishy. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so weird. I remember like poking it like in the camera is the same thing. I like use two fingers to like kind of poke at it. And I'm just like, okay, that's kind of weird. And uh, hi, bunny, go back to sleep. It's okay. We're almost done. <laughs> He's right next to us on a baby Bjorn bouncer. So um, where was I? You almost pushed the oh, baby yeah. out. They were like, Catherine, grab him. And I was like, I literally grabbed, you know, underneath his armpits and pulled him out and like pulled him out of my vagina and put him on me. And I will tell you that initial moment when you finally see the face, like you see what they look like after them being in your womb for 10 months and having no awareness whatsoever or any idea of who they might look like, what they look like. Are they cute? Are they not cute? Are they going to be a cone head? Are they going to be super swollen and ugly and this and that, you know, like whatever. And it's such a shock to the system. I remember looking at him and just like, it didn't register. It's like, this is it. Like, this is who was in here. And then all of a sudden I looked at him and I was like, wait, he has no cone head. How does he not have a cone head? And then I was like, oh my God, he's so cute. He's not even swollen and he's so handsome. And I just remember immediately like falling in love with him. And then all of a sudden it's just like, oh my God, relief, like complete relief that he's out. It's over. He's on me. He's so cute. He did his cry. Um, Abby was there. She was coaching me to like rub his back and talk to him because there's this moment where babies go from the spirit world, essentially in the womb, because the womb is a portal, the vagina is a portal to human world. And sometimes they, if they, if you're, it's actually in fast pushes. That's what Abby told me when the woman isn't pushing very, um, for very long, that's when babies, they come out really quiet because they're like still asleep. They still think they're in the womb because it happens so fast. But if they've been in the birth canal for a while and it's been like this whole thing of hours and hours and hours, they're a lot more alert. So we had to kind of help him take his first breath, his first cry. She, she was coaching me on FaceTime. Um, and I remember like hearing Abby's voice like somewhere and realizing that Lori and her are FaceTiming. And so he does his first cry. I'm like super relieved, super happy. And then he's on my chest for, I don't know, like a whole hour. We're doing skin to skin long before they, and that's what I love. Like Cedar Sinai is very pro skin to skin. As long as it's like, you know, safe for baby to do that. Um, there's no problem or issue or anything, no emergency. So he's on me. No one's touching him. No one's grabbing him. No one's weighing him. There's none of that. We do delayed cord clamping. So we got our wish um, with uh, Dr. Crane. He let us have seven minutes of blood. Yeah, seven seven minutes of blood. Well, first of all, what's skin to skin, babe? Skin to skin is when you're naked and baby's naked and baby's on your chest. And what what does that do for the baby and Um, the mom? 
well, it helps with a lot of things. Yeah. I know primarily like it helps with um, stabilizing the baby, like because they go from the womb to all of a sudden bright lights, you know, cold air, all these things. And so when you put the baby on your chest, the baby is still hearing your heart rate. Your body is regulating the baby's body's temperature, their heart rate, their breathing rate, all that stuff. So it's so, so important. I mean, imagine they have this very gentle transition. Imagine swimming in the dark, dark, deep ocean and hitting a wormhole that just all of a sudden compresses you and throws you into like the Atacama Desert with no, I mean, literally it's like dark ocean to like bright Atacama Desert or I mean, who cares? Vegas, uh, whatever. Just a bright white desert from a dark ocean. That's their experience, literally. And so the skin to skin helps regulate them. And it Um, helps with latching, even though we had an issue with that. But anyway, so he's on me. The delayed cord clamping was a big deal for us too because we had a back and forth about it. We really wanted the delayed cord clamping so he can get the blood that's been circulating inside the placenta, inside his blood system. We really wanted that for him because there's a lot of benefits for that. But also we went back and forth. We talked with our pediatrician, our birth team. I know from my background, just loving on people like Tony Robbins and Peter Diamandis and just like the really smart forward medicine in the world. Um, I knew I really wanted to get um, uh, umbilical stem cells. Um, that was really important to me. And the irony of that is, is that you hope you never use them. Yeah. You hope you waste them. But um, I used LifeBank and uh, it was a really great experience with them. Um, it's not super cheap, but it's not a lot. So it, it's like, I just figure if he has a rare condition at some point or needs something or he tears his ACL, and, and or he hurts his back. We have a God insurance. Forbid, God forbid. But we have an insurance policy for him forever, in that his placental stem cells will be banked for an eternity. So we got the best of both worlds because normally delayed cord clamping. Yeah, seven minutes is a good time. It's normally delayed cord clamping. They are they are nervous because they want to give that blood to the baby. But if you ask for the placental uh, stem cell blood, umbilical, umbilical, sorry, uh, umbilical uh, stem cell blood. Um, the cord blood, they need to get enough. Otherwise, if they don't get enough, then they can't actually harvest those stem cells and it's a waste. Mm-hmm. So there's this balance between them. We weren't actually sure if we could get both. Well, in the home a- birth, it was very challenging because I would have to get out of the tub very fast, use gravity to get, it, it would have been a whole thing that was stressing me out for weeks and weeks and weeks. And it's kind of a blessing that we ended up in the best environment for cord, bank, cord for banking that. to be very easy and also to have delayed cord clamping at the same time. It was just like such a possibility because of uh, because of us going to the hospital. So um, they do that. Brennan cuts the cord. And then it's time, you know, the baby spent a while for me with me. And then finally, the big question comes up of like, how much did this baby weigh? Because my bump was freaking huge, ginormous. And I, uh, Dr. Rad, who from part one, you remember we had an ultrasound right as I was going into labor, he estimated the baby would be, um, well, his ultrasound measurement said 10 ish pounds, but he says it's always off by a pound higher from his experience. So he's like, I'm guessing you're on nine pounds. And I said, I've said nine pounds this whole pregnancy because I was eight, six, Brennan was nine, nine. I'm like, this baby's going to be right in between. He's going to be, uh, nine pounds. And so, I thought it'd be bigger to be honest. Yeah. They weigh him and he was nine pounds, one ounce. And he was the freaking cutest thing in the world. Um, Our life changed. my placenta came out. You saw it. 
you're grossed out by it now when you're watching it. No, the I'm video. not grossed out by not it. Not grossed it was just, out. It's just too much blood for you. It looks like, you know, okay, so you know, like in the ultrasound, how they show the baby's heart with the advanced imaging stuff and you can see the blue and the red. Yeah. Imagine like not a heart like a, this is a Disney heart, but like an actual pumping heart with both ventricles and, and you know, you it hold it. It came out it's as like, a glob. It looked like, it looks like, it, it, it looks like a heart, if, if there's a heart balloon that was popped. That's what it looks like. It's just very red, very mucusy, bloody, blue. And I, it just, it's an amazing piece of your body that served our son and it's served you. It's an organ. You. It's, it's so an, cool. It's, it's a disposable it's, organ. It's amazing. But it's pretty crazy. It's, I, it's pretty bloody. I saw it on the video this morning when I was yeah. reviewing the footage. It is pretty crazy. And he showed the sack. And of course, all that collagen that I took made the sack really strong, which then hurt me in the end. Um, but I'm still going to take a lot of collagen no matter what, because it's worth it. It like honestly did so many amazing things for my skin through pregnancy, but that's a whole nother, whole nother topic. So we got our baby. Our pediatrician came by right away. Yeah, we requested that, which yeah. was great because we wanted to get out of the hospital as quick as possible. Yeah. Not like as quick as possible, like okay, we're running away now, but just like, yeah, but we, kind of we running didn't want to like stay there because we knew that everything was great. He was great. He was healthy. He was good. And the beauty of having Abby as the midwife, even though she didn't, she wasn't, it wasn't a home birth was that, um, she's still our care provider. And so she does home visits for six entire weeks after the baby's born. She comes over, checks me, checks the baby. We have long appointments that OBGYNs don't see you until six weeks after birth. So you get none of that care. I've seen Abby like four times and we're only two and a half weeks past, um, his delivery. Not only that, but she's hooked us up with uh, our amazing milk donor too. I mean, there's so many, there's so many benefits. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm saying that the reason why we could be discharged so quickly is because we were going to do all our newborn exams with our midwife. We had a midwife at home. So it wasn't like we're just going rogue and like just, you know, winging and doing our own thing at home. It's like we had care providers. Uh, my mom came, we got transferred to the postpartum suite. And then of course, full circle moment, Dr. Rad walks in and it was hysterical because I remember Brendan asking me in the middle of my, my labor, Hey, Dr. Rad asked Abby if he could attend his first home birth to observe and just see what Abby does because he loves, like he really advocates for Abby and Abby advocates for him. Like they have a great relationship. This is a big deal for him. I, I feel like, I mean, I'm going to go on the record here and just say like, Dr. Rad is probably the person that I would recommend given what I know now. He is like the high risk factor yeah, if you have a high risk pregnancy, high go risk to Dr. Pregnant, Rad. Pregnancy, he is the guy at Cedar Sinai. Mm -hmm. And so our preferences and like why we chose Dr. Crane didn't have anything to do with Dr. Rad. Dr. Rad is an incredible doctor. We just knew that we wanted to go in a certain direction. But like if my wife was had, you know, God forbid, something dangerous, like if she had to go in for an emergency C section my desire may have actually shifted to, to Dr. Oh, Rad. Sure. Like I would I, he would be too. the one I would want to operate on you because he is that skilled. And the most important thing about Dr. Rad, in my opinion, is it's like he is the best at these emergency C-sections or high-risk C-sections or high-risk vaginal births. But like he also cares about the birth space, the conscious birth space, yeah, the home so birth space. So he learn. wanted to learn from midwives, from who he has a great relationship with. But like, how honorable is that to be like in Los Angeles at the best hospital, one of the best, and 
still being like, wow, what don't I, what, what, what don't I know? Where are my holes? Where can I learn and evolve more? How can I have a more conscious experience for someone who has no option of a home birth? They have to have an emergency C-section because of their situation. How can I still give them as many benefits as possible given their situation? So Kath, I just, I, I admire him. I adore him for that. And he was actually requesting to come to our home birth and he didn't hear anything. Thank God he didn't come. And he was nervous (laughs) because he didn't hear from Abby. I don't think for a while, but he ends up coming over to Cedars because this is his hospital, right? And he ends up in our postpartum suite. And it was just and this was funny like, full circle moment. Thank God he didn't come to the home birth <laughs> yeah, because ex- here we are. Exactly. And he was really cute. Um, so we, and my mom got to meet him. So we did that. We got discharged at like 1 a.m. that night and I gave birth at 2.45, you know, and, you know, backtracking. So we showed up at 2 a.m., two, you know, that night. 2.45 p.m. the next day, I gave birth, I delivered, and then 1 a.m. that night, we got discharged, and thank God we had the car seat, so we got to take baby home. Thank God I brought everything with us because you never had to go anywhere, go home to pack things. We didn't have to spend a night there except for the night that I was in labor, and it was just a, a honestly an amazing experience, and we got discharged. We went home, and my mom stayed with us for nine days total uh, to help us with that initial newborn chaos that ensues, you know, middle of the night changes and feedings and cryings and this and that. But overall, like, I think we had a great experience, even though it didn't go exactly according to plan. I think that everything that made it would have made it an amazing experience, like is what had happened. And also this is, this is awesome. There's a specific astrology chart that I was kind of manifesting for Orion. And of course I would never, I would never be like, Oh, Orion, you have to come at this time. Cause I truly believe, you know, in communication between unborn baby and mother. But I knew that he was choosing his astrological time and time of birth. Uh, Jesus, I can't even talk date and time of birth to have a specific chart, a specific human design chart, right? We choose that or higher selves choose, choose that before birth. And I, I would wonder like, okay, what is he choosing? And at the same time, I'm like, oh my God, I really don't like that sign. Or I really don't like that aspect until like a certain time, you know? And I was like, when I went into labor on the fourth, I was like, oh no, he's going to choose that aspect. Okay. I mean, that's up to him. And it's so funny because he came right as one of the aspects changed, like a few hours after it changed. And I was like, of course you did. Like, you, of course you chose to come on the six at this time. And I always wonder, you know, would I have lasted that long at our home birth? Another 13 hours, like what would that feel like? would I even have the energy to push? Like, what if I didn't have the energy to push baby got stuck and I had to end up with emergency C-section. So overall, I'm so happy. I listened to my intuition. And like I said, in, in part one, my intuition speaks to me in flashing images very often. And so the fact that I saw Dr. Crane flash at me three hours before, um, I finally decided to go to the hospital says something. And it really taught me to listen to that and not judge that, even though I, I did judge myself in the moment and I had to question, is this my ego or not? But then I had to understand that my ego has been talking to me for the last 20 hours already because I was, you know, like in labor, my ego was already talking to me the night before. And I already overcame 24 hours of ego 
And so this was coming from the higher self and being able to make that distinction in such a um, high intensity state just really empowered me to trust more decision-making that I would make in my next birth or other high intensity states that life brings, you know, our way. And also just like, I think to understand too, that what preferences are, preferences are not life or death. Preferences are preferences. Like Catherine and I have a very holistic view of life uh, and health and vitality and medicine. Um, You know, we spend a lot of money on providers that are helping us be healthy now and not waiting for something to go wrong. And I think both of us, if I'm being honest and vulnerable here, have held a little bit of a bias towards Western healthcare in some ways. Uh, Not, you know, hugely like, you know, we're going to get shot with a gun and then, you know, go sage it out or like, you know. Uh, 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 use some Reiki to pull the bullet to the yeah, universe or something. But typically Western medicine is last resort for me. And yeah, exactly. And, and I think, you know, we had done a lot of, a lot of the conscious birth space is really focused on like where Western medicine gets it wrong and all the things bad about it. And I, I, I think I'm going to kind of shift and pivot and just kind of refute some of that and be like, you know, all these tools exist, just like Catherine teaches in, in Manifestation Babe Academy. You know, all these tools exist for us to use. Mm-hmm. Some of them may work better than others. Some may resonate with you more. You may not love meditation, but you may love tapping. You may not love tapping, but you may love breath work. You have to choose the tools that are available for you to help you where you're at at that juncture. And those tools may change. But having an open mind, especially in this closed minded world, is so important. And I think for me, you know, the irony was is like we had this beautiful, beautiful birth, all things considered, inside the Western medical system after kind of doing a more Eastern style approach from the get go. And, you know, um, yes, Leah, it's okay. Uh, there are there is good energy in the building. You can let it just pass through. Um, that's our French bulldog, Leia, for those who know. Um, and you know, it was we, we, I, I was laughing because in the postpartum suite, we expected to be discharged pretty quickly. We were not. And I have this saying that if I can buy your company, your hospital, if I can buy a company in my stock portfolio that owns the profits of your hospital. They are in business number one and healthcare number two. They are in the business of money number one and the business of health number two. And if you disagree with that or you want to fight me on that, I respectfully will not incline to engage with you. I will just agree to disagree. But you know, when you have to be profitable because your shares are bought, bought and sold on Wall Street, that becomes a focus whether or not you want it to. And so the irony of that was we were kept in in the postpartum suite, not till 11.58, not till 11.59, not till midnight or midnight 01. Uh, we were kept until just past one o'clock, even though basically everything had been ready for hours because hospitals got to get that money. They got to charge you for one more day at the yeah, hospital. I had no idea they'll charge us for another night. We had no idea that they even were going to charge an us. Hour. <laughs> they just waited, you know, hospital procedure waited to discharge us uh, an extra hour just so that they could bill us for that whole day and night extra. And, you know, um, that's typically the way I look at healthcare. And I think after this birth, I was so appreciative to see the best and most beautiful elements of Western medicine come together, support us, support our vision, support our plan, support what we wanted. And I think I walk away feeling like 
well, it didn't go exactly how we wanted it, but we weren't given what we wanted. We were given what we needed, maybe to restore some of that, that faith in that system back to us. And that is the birth of Orion King O'Keefe. We're going to leave it here because this has been already a two-part episode. I don't know how long we've been talking now, but we are so grateful. We're now 18 days postpartum. Our little angel is freaking perfect. If you haven't caught up on all my posts and stories up until this point, there should be a little highlight called Orion King O'Keefe or Orion King. And um, there's a couple posts where you can see some cute baby pictures. And of course, a lot of people ask because, you know, everyone knew I was having a home birth, but the picture I shared of Orion was with a hospital, wearing a hospital gown on a hospital bed with a hospital blanket. And so (laughs) had to answer that question in a two-parter episode of what exactly happened and why did we end up delivering at the hospital? I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Did you want to say something, babe? Yeah. I just want to quickly say that, um, uh, this was such a blessing to record. This boy is such a blessing in our life. And um, we're, I'm going to make sure that our team includes in the show notes um, all of the information uh, about the providers that we used. And if you're interested in finding out about what this whole experience was actually like, you know your girl, Catherine Zinkina, has got a YouTube channel. She's going to post a video. It's probably going to be more than you want to see. It may not no, be. No, it's going to be blurred out, Brendan. We're not going to do a whole frontal on YouTube, but you'll see – both sides of the home birth as well as the hospital birth. Everything that we talked about, you'll see in visual form, but I don't want to sit in front. Like, I don't want to do a whole dissertation with, you know, pictures and videos. So it's going to be two separate things. So that will be coming soon. I'll definitely announce um, that Mm -hmm. video when it's ready. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Go ahead and tag me if you share this episode in your stories or posts or anything like that. I so appreciate your feedback. As always, I love, love, love um, getting tagged and hearing your excitement about the new episodes and also when you leave a review that really helps this podcast grow. So thank you so much for doing that as well. Love you so much. And I will see you in the next episode. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. If you absolutely loved what you heard today, be sure to share it with me by leaving a review on iTunes so that I can keep the good stuff coming your way. If you aren't already following me on social media, come soak up the extra inspiration on Instagram by following at Manifestation Babe or visiting my website at ManifestationBabe.com. I love and adore you so much and can't wait to connect with you in the next episode. In the meantime, go out there and manifest some magic.